0: Section 2 of The Centurions. and This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Guo. The Centurions by Biagi. In chapter 2 Middleton and the Co. were very hazy concerning Professor Saxlina. Bergen Rollins knew nothing. When Middleton informed me the professor had dropped all his old associates when he retired from college, and in return, everybody had forgotten him. He, Middleton, understood lina was involved in some colossal scheme which he had hung on to all these years, and so far his only recompense was in tasting the delights of a hermit. He lived way out somewhere in the suburbs in the little house of his own, did his own cooking, and was very craft to outsiders. And while hunting up the man, Middleton asked. I intended to remain some time on this side of the ocean. I told him, I always liked Saxlina, and I simply wished to meet him again. He was the only man who seemed to understand me, and naturally we are congenial. No harm in looking up the professor, he said. I always thought Saxelina a mighty shrewd fellow, and his advice was hidden. Hunt him up, by all means. Splendid idea. The Middleton scowled fiercely while I roared. The slip of the tongue and the word was sounded, that he always avoided while I was within earshot. Idea, idea, idea. Ah, for a brilliant one. Middleton's chagrin was amusing. Several days later, early one morning, I and a pair of cell speeded toward the suburbs to search for my old friend, Saxlina. I reined out in front of a little old cottage of one floor, cellar, and attic. The little front garden was overgrown with tall pink flowers and a huge yellow ones with broad green leaves. The gate hung upon one hinge, because it liked to and had to be coaxed to open wide enough to admit one. There was a narrow, gravelled path leading up to an olive green door, ornamented with a tarnished brass knocker in the form of a lion's head and with a real Swiss nose. And here, in these parts so peaceful and sunny, old Sax had buried himself with his colossal ideas. I strode up to the olive door, and I used the knocker several times with a noisy effect. My summons were suddenly heard throughout the house and several blocks beyond, but all remained calm, peaceful, no sign of a living creature anywhere. I stepped out to examine the premises and discovered a smoke issuing from the chimney, so tried my luck again with a series of startling knocks. I heard footsteps, quick jerky, irritated footsteps. Boots were snappishly drawn, and the door opened widely, there stood Sax, red and angry, enveloped from head to foot in a huge apron, Slip rolled up, and armed with a fork. "Well, young man," he bawled, "might have known I didn't want to be bothered. What do you want?" same old sex, and cross-lovable as ever. I took off my head and stood smiling at him. He scowled furiously for a second, then gasped. "Salucci, How, my soul? Why? It's Salucci!" He grabbed and drew me into the hall, and gazing at me in astonishment and chuckling softly. In a second, we were wringing each other's hands as though for a wager. Never expected to see you again, my boy, he told me. Thought you'd forgot old sex completely. Still while? Might as well, I answered. Good boy, he laughed. But say, send away that wagon out there. The whole neighborhood will think I'm sick and you're the doctor. Sex really looked uneasy. I did as he wished, then he took me straight to his little kitchen. Getting up a dinner, he explained, the reason I'm still mad is because I look up to my digestion and live well. Upon a huge range were several small pots bubbling, and sex went to work like a wet one. I attempted to account for myself during the 12 years' absence, but the sex cut me short. I know all about it he said, kept a track of you right along, regretted very much your sporty life. Whatever if you deserted folly, you cultivated a seriousness is a raw end, you remained at nothing long enough to make a success, you surrendered to failure right off. and the sincere enthusiast never admits failure. You have wasted many valuable years. What if you took later of that? What I have in these poems will improve with simmering. Come, I'll show you about the place. He escorted me through the tiny hall to several rooms. There was a sitting room, a cozy smoking room, a library, and three bedrooms. The books in the library were piled high from floor to ceiling without the shelves or covering and tumbled in every direction best way to keep books, he explained, to open for moths. The merely never attacks them. And then, if you want a book, you can lay hand on it at once. I'm here when I'm not in the attic. We visited the cellar, and Sex with Pride showed me several brands of fancy wine in casks and bottles, and there was a large variety of imported liquors. He with the bottles he took from the shelves, remarking, We'll test them later. And then he led the way to the attic, the most remarkable room, comprised the length and width of the house. It was packed with old instruments. Huge globes and vast maps of the world cut the corners and lined the walls. And there were telescopes and a great charts of the heavens and the monstrous cylinders and the electric batteries. And two crystal columns were filled with fiery-hued liquid. And there was a queer steel contrivance resembling a table with a top cutout. And suspended in the center was a huge crystal globe pierced by a steel rod. The globe revolved upon this rod with wonderful rapidity. Sax lingered, but received no explanations. Another thing which roused my curiosity was something of vast dimensions, carefully covered with canvas. Sax jealously guarded this treasure, whatever it was, and skillfully turned my attention to other matters. And was it for this you resigned everything? I blurted out. Exactly, he replied. Where does it lead to? North Pole. I turned to him in astonishment. He stared back defiantly. I refrained from a remark, but a sensible man like sex should have such a full desire. And at the end, I asked stupidly, North Pole, he cried out impatiently, well, well, well. He took my arm and led me downstairs, remarking, I was about to eat the finest dinner I ever tasted in my life. I certainly enjoyed the meal. As a the cook, the Sax was an expert. His superb satana and candy loosened our tongues, and Sax speedily learned I was wide and adrift as to my future intentions. This was during to pessimistic sultana state when the preparatory gloom of expected hilarity causes one to view life sadly. And I ended up a long-winded refrain with, Honestly, sex, I believe at the end of it all will be a woman. Sex was horrified. A woman? he yelled. A woman? God heavens, Saluchi, you must be mad. It's an ordinary madness, I snapped. And I see no occasion for excitement if eventually the main idea should develop into a woman. What's so terrible about it? All uproading men and heroes end their careers with a woman. Stop, cried sex. Stop the nonsense. You are not in earnest. You'd cease to interest me if you were. And yet, there is a lot in your statement. And many great men have ended with a woman, that was their death, but all accomplished their ambition before seeking diversion. I laughed and told him he had just quoted me, women were the most delightful diversion the world contained. He flushed and tried to appear angry. I laughed louder and asked him how old he was. He seemed younger than when I left college. He shook his head impatiently and cried, Vouch, got over all that twenty years ago. I'm near fifty, he told me. But a man can remain the same age fifteen years. How old do I look? Thirty-five, I answered promptly. I thought so, he replied slyly. A man always remains that at least fifteen years. And it is generally understood we do not reach prime till sixty. Ahem. Uh-huh with reached the county and also the conclusion that we were both rather fortunate than otherwise in being alive. And this is a cheering, vigorous thought, and the county inspired lengthy discussions upon all manner of scientific subjects. And as my interests were centered in the attic and sex finally took me up there again. I went straight for the great canvas covering, and the sex who had a soul reserved to the winds, assisted me to remove the covering. And to my astonished eyes was revealed the monstrous machinery of what? It was a massive structure composed entirely of steel and looked like a locomotive resting upon sleds. The snow had a projectile three-feet in circumference and a nine feet long, terminating at the base to the sides of a three-carat diamond. And the diamond was there, sparkling and blazing away in serene splendor. the ridiculously small button was pressed, and the sled slowly ascended, exposing the base of the machine, which was shaped like a canoe. Another button pressed, and the shot shortened a socket. It's magnificent, a marvellous invention, Saxe was it intended for? But the ignored my question. It certainly is a beautiful thing to look at, but useless, he told me. A failure which someday I shall master. I mean a failure to succeed, as have discovered the faults and I only have to discover the remedy. An odd look of a hopelessness and a defiance shaded his face. He turned, as though to hide his expression. I haven't been near it for months, he continued. Everything is in readiness, though. I keep it that way in case I take the notion and I won't have to waste time in preparations. But a look at it sometimes sickens me. Courage, I told him, you cannot fail. You are master of the instrument because of its imperfections. He sighed heavily. Then explained the faults of his machine which I examined with enthusiasm. I became a spout and declared positively I could perfect it. Sachs smiled and replaced the covering, then trotted me from his treasure room. You are one idea at a time, man. You have said it is a secret of the prolongation of youth. At present, your splendid intellect is blank, and I will not take advantage of it. Go! Remain away a week. Think well of your future. What you what indefinite plans you may have formed. Should you return within the week, I know you are free, untrimored, open to suggestion and to the supreme idea. Whichever way you decide, Saloji, I wish you prosperity and success. I grasped his hand as he escorted me to the door. I had spent the entire day with him. And it was evening now, beautiful with the white light of the moon. Sack stepped out to inhale the fresh, balmy air, and greeted a man who was coming up the little gravel path, who informed him it was a indifferent night for observations. The light from the door fell upon his features, and I recognized Professor Saunders, the astronomer, whose lecture. Had often listened to with a keenest interest. He greeted me, then murmured something, entered the house, and rapidly vanished in the region of the attic. Sax, anxious to join his friend, rather abruptly bade me good night, however, reminding me I had been haphazard long enough. Be decisive, he murmured. End of section two.